post-secondary education and training. This is uh, part of our week-long series of webinars on transitioning to adulthood uh, in, in lieu of our normal annual conference. Since we can't get together in person, we're doing a whole week of live events, on-demand webinars, lots of information and resources. And we want to thank you again for being with us. Um, we are recording today's session. Just so you know, we're also streaming it live on Ripen's YouTube channel, Ripen's Facebook page. If you're watching on YouTube or on Facebook and you have questions for our panelists, please, please, please send them in. Type them right into the comments on Facebook. There's a chat function on YouTube you can use. Type in those questions and I will relay them to our panelists who will uh, do their very best to answer them for you. I am joined today again by two of my Ripen colleagues, uh, Sue Donovan and Sharon Koshin both from our PTIC, our Parent Training Information Center team, and they, and they work a lot on uh, transitioning to adulthood. And we are super excited to welcome our guest today. Uh, we are joined by Kerry Collins, Regional Transition Coordinator for the Southern Region of Rhode Island. If you wanna say hello, Kerry. Hi, everyone. And we are also joined today by Kerry Rossi Dentremont, the Assistant Dean of Students Accessibility and Inclusion and the Director of Disability Services at Rhode Island College. Hello, Kerry. Hello. So uh, those are our guests today. And with that, I think I can turn it over to you, Kerry, or Kerry. I don't know which Kerry wants to start um, and, and let you kick us off today. Sure, I'll begin just by introducing myself. Um, so as Mark had mentioned, I'm the Regional Transition Coordinator for the Southern part of Rhode Island, but I also work collaboratively um, with the other Regional Transition Coordinators in the state. So we each have a center of excellence and my center of excellence is to support families and students, teachers, administrators in um, assisting with that information disseminating information about post-secondary ed um, in the preparation for students with disabilities. So I, as part of my um, work, I work with a group of young adults that are called the College Panel. If you had the opportunity, we um, had it posted on this uh, day's session under Ripen's um, calendar. And so please, if you didn't have the opportunity to watch that, we did that session. It was a community information session back in May and it's a recorded um, webinar. So take some time and watch that. Watch that as a family with your son or daughter um, that are interested in looking into colleges. That is, and if you do have a son or daughter that's in college or going into college that would be interested in being part of our panel, I'm always looking for youngsters to uh, join our panel. Um, another thing I have many resources, I'm going to put them in the chat as Kerry's talking for families and I'm constantly gathering more resources to assist families in that transition and gathering more information as they're transitioning into college from high school. So I'll turn it over to Kerry Rossi and her and I will kind of bounce back and forth. Thank you. It's always fun when you have two Kerry's on the panel with one with one R and one with two R's. And that's been the joke. I'm Carrie with one R and that's Carrie with two R's, but we actually work very closely together over the years um, on a lot of transition related activities about going on to college or post-secondary training um, after high school. So I've worked um, at Rhode Island College in the Disability Services Office since 2012. And prior to that, I worked at the Sherlock Center on Disabilities, which is also at RIC, but does more statewide work birth through adulthood. Um, and I work with the Governor's Commission on Disabilities as a commissioner and with the Employment Committee. And I'm a mom of an eighth grader um, that has an IEP. So this is near and dear to me too, as my son is starting to reach transition age. and. One of the things I think is really important is um, knowing what to expect um, with the transition from high school to college, whether a student has an IEP or a 504 plan or has a presenting need um, at the time of college. 
um, and to know what type of services are out there in college, how to prepare for that transition to college and navigate that system. So I spend a lot of time, I have a caseload at the college here at Rick, we have about 900 students uh, that we're serving. Uh, but I spend a lot of time working with high schools and in the community to um, let students, families, service providers um, know what the system is like so that the students can um, work through it and get the accommodations and services that they need. So I'm hoping to help provide um, a picture of what the service is like, the framework for it, um, the process of acquiring accommodations and some tips for parents, families, students, and uh, service providers. And I think we have some parent and family experts here on the panel, peer experts as well, that can add a lot to this conversation too. So I don't know if there's a particular place you wanna start. Well, Carrie, thank you. Um, I, looking back over the years, the Parent Center, we've worked with a lot of families whose students, you know, in the past were told, you're not going to college, you know, you better look at uh, vocational skills, you know, what can you do for a job? And although college may not be for everyone, there are so many different options today. And over the past 14 years, we've there's been a lot of education and training from you folks and from other people in the transition um, field so that... Um, schools, teachers, families, and students have a better idea of if college is in my future or not. And I think um, attending events like we've had in the past, the college planning forum and watching the college panel, I think it's just as important to determine if it's not in your future as it is to determine, yes, it's in my future. And that's why I always welcome families to start that process early. Uh, I know as a parent all in sixth grade, I was uh, approached by um, a teacher who said, you know, um, your daughter has the ability to go to college. And I thought, oh, really, what's what would that look like? You know, what would that look like? So we, we kind of switched gears and um, you, you hate to pick the either or, you know, uh, you know, it's like, is it academics or are we looking at functional skills? Like, what are we going to concentrate on? And sometimes that can be a real challenge. Um, but it's, uh, I think one of the nicest resources that we've tapped into is thinkcollege.net. And it's an online database. And those folks are actually out of Boston. And I would go in there and I'd look at the different colleges in our area, in our state and across the country, and what types of programs do we have? And if, it, if, if there are alternative college programs for kids who perhaps maybe needed, could not do the traditional um, college experience or, or what was available. And, um, and I, I, we've been very happy that, educating ourselves and making sure that my daughter had the tools that she needed to be able to be successful um, in higher education. I think that's a, that's a really good place to start because I think when you think of college, I mean, a lot of people will think of a traditional four-year degree and there certainly are those, but I mean, you also have associate's degrees, you have open enrollment schools um, you have certificate programs and you have proprietary schools. So when you think of post-secondary education, you have to think of the whole scope of those programs. And again, the Think College programs will give you uh, not, I guess, programs with non-traditional paths to admission um, and that have other supports built in. So that's a great place to start. And then for students that are going to be looking at traditional programs to start researching the admissions requirements. And then Carrie, um, I think you also have, you put up a Google doc there um, in the chat. There are some great assessments to look at some college readiness pieces. Um, and I don't know if you wanna to speak to those at all. I know you have some different ones that different districts are using or families to try to gauge uh, which programs they might wanna look at based on some of those assessments. Yes, and now, you know, in these times of COVID, when many of the things have 
switched um, to virtual platforms. I know we always have said, make sure that you, like Carrie said, research the particular colleges that you have interest in. In the Google Doc that I just shared, there's actually um, like a one-stop link that you can click and you can see all of the colleges and all of the programs and you can see all of the virtual tours. It's almost like when you go on Zillow and you can see the virtual tours of homes. Now all of the colleges are posting the virtual tours of their uh, schools, which is very neat. Most schools are right now are doing virtual open houses. Um, they're doing their nights, their open house nights, um, and you just have to register and you do this live Zoom. Uh, CCRI actually had theirs last night that I attended to get, gather some more information. So um, there really many of the colleges are you know, pivoting to make sure that they're reaching families even if they can't attend in person their open houses. Oh, Carrie, you did mention, I'm sorry, you did mention to answer your question about some transition assessments. I think um, that the one that I, most of the districts actually I, I offer to them um, to use is the one through Landmark, Co Landmark College. And you can find that also in that Google Doc. That I really, I encourage families to do that assessment together. Um, there are some questions in there that are pretty eye-opening. Like, am I prepared to read 200 pages a night? Am I, you know, how are my study skills? And it really kind of narrows down for families what can start you can start to work on now um, in preparation for your college experience. Can I just add to that, Carrie, too? Um, for linking it as far as the IEP process, I've worked with families where they've seen it on their transition page under assessments that they've been working on some kind of daily living skills or some, some um, work-ready skills. And also, um, we have families that... Um, when they were looking at the requirements, this this child, uh, the student was dead set on going to an NCAA college, needed four years of math, but has a disability of dyscalculia, so math is extremely hard for her. And they brought the IEP team, IEP team together, and what they did was they decided that she was going to slow down her algebra into two years, but then take geometry over the summer, and then pick up with Algebra 2 again. So it was a creative way for the team to come together to meet the student, um, to, to use the IEP system to meet the student's needs. And I'm glad you actually mentioned, I mean, the IEP, for students that have an IEP, that's an extremely powerful place to start the college planning. It's not just about meeting your high school graduation requirements. It's about your post-school goals. Um, one question I get where I sit in the college system is, um, should my son or daughter be switched to a 504 plan because they're going to college? I've been told maybe they should switch to a 504 plan and they're currently on an IEP. And I always say to families, um, if, you know, there's no reason to switch to a 504 plan from an IEP because you miss all the transition, you don't get that transition planning in a 504 plan. Though um, when a student comes, now again, I'm speaking to if you come into a traditional associate's degree or four-year bachelor's degree program, you are coming into a service system that is more similar to a 504 type service system. And I can speak to that a little bit in that um, it's a different service system. So uh, the IEP K through 12 um, is under IDEA, um, and it includes a lot of other supplemental personal services. But I and I'm everything I'm saying today. By the way, I wanted to mention um, is going to be in some slides that are going to be sent to you, um, so you don't have to worry about writing it all down. And this is also getting recorded, so if you're registered today, you're going to get these slides with all this information in it. But uh, the college system is governed by the Americans with Disabilities Act and Section 504 of the Rehab Act, So, um, and, and not IDEA. So what basically, and I'm going to read directly from the law, is that um, a disability um, is a physical or mental impairment that um, limits one or more major life activities, and accommodations are adjustments to the curriculum. They're intended to provide equal opportunity and access. 
So they're really there to level the playing field, but not make modifications. Um, so the way that I like to demonstrate this in a very concrete way is that in, in an IEP under IDEA, you might see an accommodation that says a, on an exam, for example, that a student could pick from three multiple choice answers instead of six. That type of accommodation would not come over in a college setting under ADA or 504. Um, what you would see in a college setting are more accommodations around access to the same exam everybody else is taking. So if a student needed more time to take that same test, if they needed a quiet room, um, if they needed to have the test in Braille or um, an audio format, but it has to be the same exact test everybody else is taking, a uh, student would still need to answer from six multiple choice answers instead of three. Um, so there are some differences. Um, colleges don't have to provide personal services. So um, you wouldn't have a resource teacher specific, uh, specifically trained in disabilities working with the student at the college level. Now colleges provide tutoring for all students uh, because we want them to succeed, but that's usually not through the disability services office as an accommodation. That's usually through an academic tutoring center for everybody. With that said, you know, there are some schools that may package and sell uh, other services or that are uh, brand themselves as a disability specific school. Uh, but under ADA 504, as an accommodation, those services are not required to be specific disability or specialized um, like resource services. Um, so that's another major difference. Um, another piece is self-identifying and self-advocacy. And, um, you know, we don't know that a student is here at the college unless they self-identify to us. Um, whereas in the K through 12 system, it's the school district's responsibility to make sure the student gets the services or is identified if they need accommodation. So we, we need to know that the student is here. And even if they may have disclosed something in their admissions essay, let's say, uh, that's not the same as self-identifying to the college disability services office. They need to contact our office, let us know they're coming to the school and, um, they need to provide us documentation of their disability. Uh, and the documentation question I know is always a, a big question also. I don't know if we wanna pause here for a minute or if you want me to start talking about the documentation or if you wanna chime in on any of the pieces I just talked about. No, this, this, is, this is really good, um, Carrie, thank you. I wanna mention uh, to folks, maybe if you're just joining us, whether you're on YouTube, watching on our Facebook page here on the Zoom, you can please, please, please submit your questions, type them right into the chat, click the Q&A button uh, through any of those channels uh, and our panelists would love to answer them. Uh, I will say too that there's been some references to different resources that, that we're posting here in the chat on Zoom. And if you're watching us on YouTube or on Facebook or whether it's live or on demand later, you could find those resources on our conference webpage. They're going to be put up right as soon as we're done with this today. If you go to ripen.org, www.ripen.org, you'll find a link to our conference page, or the link will be right in the video description if you're watching us on YouTube. And that'll get you to some of the resources our, our guests are talking about and sharing today. So talking about documentation, actually, that this is a question that I actually just got from somebody in the audience here um, about documentation they might need to share with the college. And also what questions that my child who has an IEP, what questions should my child and I ask when exploring colleges? Sure. So um, as far as the documentation, um, first piece of advice is um, most colleges are looking for very similar things in the documentation. Most of us belong to the Association of Higher Education and Disability AHEAD and they uh, provide us some guidance there, but we're, we're looking for something uh, relatively recent that will capture what the person's diagnosis is and their strengths and needs as a learner or in what the functional impacts of their disability are. So when you're exiting high school, um, 
what would be most helpful for us to have is not only a copy of your last IEP or 504 plan, that's certainly helpful because it shows us accommodations history, right? But that's not really the most helpful thing. The most helpful thing to us is the copy of the last full evaluation that led to your eligibility for that IEP or 504 plan. So I would say when exiting high school, make sure you have a copy of your last evaluation. And yes, the copy of the IEP or 504 plan is helpful, but what most colleges are going to be um, more um, interested in receiving is the full evaluation uh, that you had, because that's gonna show us, especially for learning disabilities or ADHD, that will show us um, the scores on the standardized tests, uh, where the areas of need are on different um, memory or academic measures um, and, and how that impacts in each course. Um, it allows us to take a deeper dive in how the disability impacts the person. Um, and then if a person doesn't have an IEP or 504 plan already and they're starting to get the documentation from scratch, let's say, then we'd be looking for original documentation from um, a treatment provider uh, in the case of, let's say, ADHD, it's much more helpful to have a full neuropsychological evaluation than it is just, let's say, a letter from a pediatrician. So I would say if you have any questions about a school your uh, young person is looking at, usually their disability services office will post right on their website exactly what they're looking for or, or documentation guidelines. I know at Rhode Island College, we post it right on our website. If you want to take a peek at ours, we list it even by like if you have documentation for autism spectrum or a learning disability or ADHD or a medical diagnosis or temporary, uh, we post guidelines to help uh, families know what they need to bring. I know when we were um, looking at colleges, uh, and of course we did a lot of it in person, um, but it was kind of like buying a new car. You know, you had to see if it was the right fit. And so, and, and that's what my daughter did. She had to feel the culture on the campus. Um, of course, the, the donuts and juice was, was uh, helpful at the orientation at Rick. Um, but she had to feel comfortable, you know, and um, and connect with disability support services and just talking to some of the other students that were on the campus. And I know Rick has um, a nice uh, mentor program, a mentorship program for all students. Uh, and I was very impressed by that, you know, um, to, to see all of the resources that were available for all students. Um, I know my, my daughter started off at a two-year college and then transitioned to Rhode Island College. And um, when she started that process, she did not want any extra help. She did not want to apply for disability support services. She didn't want to disclose that she had an IEP in high school. You know, it was... And no matter what I did, I just couldn't seem to convince her to um, register with um, disability support services. And the thing about the um, accommodations, they're not retroactive. So, you know, if that first semester, that first, you know, you start off and all of a sudden, you know, by, uh, I don't know, Columbus Day, Thanksgiving, you know, you're starting to feel a little overwhelmed, you know, you can still go to the disability support services and apply, you know, and, and submit your, your paperwork and advocate for yourself. Um, but it's not going to change those, you know, those grades from September, October. Um, mm -hmm. and, and so that finally, when she was going to Rick and she met you lovely people, um, she um, realized, hey, I can, I can apply and if I need the accommodation, then I'll ask for it. But if I don't need it, I don't have to use it. And mm -hmm. that's, that was very important. So I really encourage the families that we work with at Ripen to, to kind of, you know, um, present that, you know, to your students that way. You don't have to use it if you don't need it, but they're not retro. So why don't you get the paperwork done, get that in, and then see how it goes, you know? Um, but tell us a little bit about the different types of accommodations that you do see that are very useful, Carrie. So basically, um, 
you know, it's, we look at each student case by case to see what they will need, but some of the more common things I see students use for a variety of reasons, whether it's because they have a learning disability or an attention or, or it could be that they need to stop and check their blood sugar or whatever, it might be like extra time on an exam or copy of lecture notes or recording lecture. Um, it might be that, um, you know, some students, and this is for when things are in person, but like we can work around and get creative with things. Some students might have a medical condition and they need to step out of the classroom. So even just having that context uh, in, in an accommodation letter that goes to the professor, doesn't share their diagnosis or anything like that, but would say this student may need to take ex extra breaks during class. And then if they're recording their lecture, now they don't have to worry about what they missed when they stepped out of the room or wheeled out of the room. And then uh, they come back and they have the recording and the professor already had the accommodation letter privately. So the student doesn't have to worry that the professor thinks they're being rude for leaving in the class. So it all depends on what it is they need. We'll work around. Again, it's all based on access to the curriculum. Um, and then if they're living in campus housing, access to housing also. Um, I, I, I saw another question about student not wanting to know that um, people to know that they had an IEP or that they have accommodations. So at the college level um, should speak to that. Only your professor would know that you have the accommodation letter and each school is going to maybe do things a little differently. If it's in person, they might have you give it to the professor privately during their office hours or email it to the professor. Um, but it's a letter that goes to your professor that basically says what your accommodations are. Uh, but it doesn't list diagnosis. So it's very specific to accommodations in the class uh, as it relates to if it has to do with exams or notes or classroom dynamics in any way. That's what it is. It's very um, about the logistics of making those things happen. Um, with the disability services office, if somebody has like a language-based learning disability or print disability, you can also work with the offices to get your course materials in an alternative format. Uh, so that's another um, service that a disability services office would uh, do. Um, another thing I should mention is that you may see these offices, uh, disability services might call themselves student accessibility service, office of inclusion. So um, the name might be different at different schools. Too. So keep that. And speaking of accommodations, Carrie, um, and I know you and I talk to families a lot about it while they're in high school and understanding your accommodations. So um, those students that are doing student led IEPs, really bringing the student back to understanding what accommodations they have in high school, what's written into their IEP, and have those self advocacy skills to talk to you about what accommodations they had in high school and what could transfer over and why they had them is really important. And I know that you like, you know, make sure that students have those skills to be able to speak to you or your, one of your offices. The other piece that we talked about a little, we touched on is making sure in those IEP meetings um, and having that discussion about college transition that the student should start to gather those documents that may be required for your office. So finding out what, what's required and then going back to your IEP team to make sure that you've collected some of those documents prior to exiting high school. So I wanted to make sure that we're including that. Yeah. And I've seen, oh, sorry. Yeah, I've, I've seen that on some IEPs too, Carrie. Um, it's, and it's usually a shared responsibility between the family, the student and the school. Um, so they're all working together as a unit to. If that's what the uh, student's dream is to go on to secondary education, making sure that that is part of the transition plan, um, making sure that there have things like written in their transition page around exploring colleges, around collecting the documentation, around self-determination um, and working on those skills. Because when they go to visit Kerry Rossi, at her department, they're not gonna wanna speak to mom and dad. Mom and dad can be there for support, but they're gonna keep directing the questions back to the student 
wait, so mom and dad are going to have to learn to take a step back a little bit if they and let the student speak. Right, Carrie? Yes. So students will often bring um, it with permission. They'll they'll bring a, the, the family member to an appointment uh, with the office. And we will it will feel different because we'll ask the student to sign a release if they want a family member in the appointment. I know being a parent and having been on an educational journey with my son since he was three, I'd probably be like, wait a minute, I've been part of this journey the whole time. What do you mean they got to sign a release? So, but it's a first time where really now the students in the driver's seat. So, um, but the, the, the thing is they're going to be in the driver's seat for the next four years if they're here for a um, four year degree. And I think um, it's really important that they get comfortable with coming to uh, the disability services office and knowing that they need to request their accommodations each semester because their new classes equal new professors. Uh, they need to request them each semester, but it doesn't mean parents and families are not part of the picture anymore because it's you're still there, but now you're in a coaching role. So you can do things like familiarize yourself with the academic calendar on the college's website. So you will know when midterm grades are going to be posted. You can ask the questions, you know, what were your midterm grades? I know they were posted on this day. Keep that dialogue open. Um, a student's not going to come and talk to us, though, if they're having difficulty, let's say, if they think that we're talking about them and to, to, to their parents. Now, sometimes, though, students will shut down and not come to us, and parents are our best source of information. Students can sign a release with our office to be able to allow us to communicate with their parents. Now, that will go just to our office. It doesn't mean that it will carry over, let's say, to the uh, registrar's office for grades. That's just for us to be able to talk about accommodations. But your parents are certainly still involved, but we will always want to make sure that the student is coming to us first. So if I'm writing an email, I'm not going to write an email to a family member. I will write it to a student. If a student wants me to copy a parent on it, I will. But I always want that student in the conversation. Again, it's that nothing about me without me because they need to have the buy-in because it's their education here. A couple of the most, um, a couple of accommodations that my daughter receives that we found profoundly helpful um, is redu reduced um, course load, carrying a reduced caseload uh, per semester um, based on disability, but it doesn't interfere with her financial aid. So, you know, it doesn't, you know, it's, it's prorated um, so that, you know, she's still receiving her financial aid as, you know, but she doesn't have to carry a full caseload. Um, your typical, what is it? 15, 12 credits per semester. Um, and also uh, with registering with disability support services, she um, has been able to get support in uh, registering early for her classes so that before they fill up and, you know, uh, so it's a little bit easier for her to navigate that and to get what she needs each semester. One of the reasons early registration is often needed for some for some students is because they have other things they need to incorporate into their schedules. So if they're getting, let's say, double time on a test, for example, they may need to plot out a schedule differently to in incorporate padding in the time in between classes. Or if somebody has a mobility need, they may need to um, think about travel time Right. Or if somebody needs to avoid more early morning classes because of side effects of a medication, they may need to pick classes that start at 10 or later. Or if we're needing to, let's say, request sign language interpreters and we need some extra lead time and know those seats are locked into those classes to get those requests out. So there is a benefit to um, having early registration as an accommodation for some students because there's some extra planning involved. Uh, with getting um, enrollment for some students, for sure. And I know, Carrie, you talk about um, early requests of accommodations, even in the summer, for mm -hmm. some of those technology pieces, correct? Yes. Because mm -hmm. some of them require more planning. So like something like extra time on an exam doesn't really require much planning. But when we're talking about adapting course materials, uh, the more notice we have, the better. 
uh, because especially sometimes with things, especially like Braille um, for, for certain math courses, those actually have to be outsourced to a vendor, depending on if it's a specialized uh, Braille that needs to be made that we can't print in-house and things like that, um, or, or different technology needs or interpreters have to be booked in advance. And so certainly um, we, we want to know you're coming. So one question that we have right now that I'd like to make sure we get to uh, is, is there a path to post-secondary education for kids with IEPs who have alternate assessments? So I know the resource, Think College, um, is a fantastic resource. They have um, a listing of what they call TIPSID programs. They support, Kerry may be able to talk a little bit more about this, but that's for students with intellectual and developmental disabilities throughout the United States. So there are several programs all around the United States that offer um, programming for students that are on alternate assessment as that, you know, that question. Great. Thank so you. yes, Think College would be your, your best resource for that. Um, we actually, I, I'm sad to say, we actually had one here at Rhode Island College for several years um, it, at the Sherlock Center on Disabilities, um, the Certificate of Undergraduate Studies. Uh, my office worked very closely uh, with that program, and it was funded by a federal TIPSID grant. Um, we did not get the next round of funding for that piece. And it was, you know, I think it's a matter of also the the national budget at this time and other things, but you know, that it's not something that we're done looking at here at Rhode Island College. I think we have to um, reimagine our structure for that. We, we know what it takes to have a program like that here. We've done it and done it well. So the book's not closed on that. We don't have an active program like that here at the college, but it's something we're well-versed in. But for now, the ones that are active are on the Think College website. And I just wanted to <clears throat> reiterate, you know, because I know that Carrie had talked about some of the differences in accommodations in high school and college, but um, at the college university level, there are no personal aids provided, no nurses or behavioral interventionists. Um, those things are not something that would be provided by a college. So Sue, that's actually one of the questions we have too, was uh, somebody asked, are there specific supports or services that a university or college is not required to provide other than the examples you just gave? Can anyone else think of any other things that a college is just not at all required and, and won't provide? Um, I can give you some, um, so I mentioned like modifications that change. So we're not required to change admission requirements, requirements for graduation. Um, I mentioned the taking a, di a different test than everybody else, um, like taking a test with less questions or selecting from a smaller pool of answers. We're not required to waive degree requirements. Um, another thing, and I think this goes back to what Sue was saying about, you know, it's important not to do things retroactively. Big difference in college, there's no guaranteed extra credit assignments or retakes of exams, whereas that might be something you see in high school. Um, we're not required to give alternate assessments, such as designing an, an entirely new test or course based on a student's preference or learning style or guaranteed excused absences. Um, I wanted to speak, though, to the waiver of the degree requirement piece, because one question I get a lot is for students with language-based learning disabilities that can't take a second language for, let's say, uh, let's say you have a diagnosis of dyslexia, for instance. Um, here at Rhode Island College, as an example, and again, you would want to check with the college that you're looking at, but we have our students take two years of a second language. However, through the Disability Services Office, if you have a disability that precludes you from taking a second language, you would work with our department to take a course substitution. So you could take sign language, you could take two years of sign language, not two years, two um, semesters of sign language, or you could take a non-language 
uh, course about linguistics. So students here will take intro to language or anthropological linguistics instead of taking, let's say, Spanish, Italian, or French. So we won't just waive the language requirement, but we'll substitute, um, and we've done that. All right, that's, so, that's, oh, sorry. Um, somebody's asking about Kurzweil. Like, we have Kurzweil 3000. If people don't know what Kurzweil is, it's a software. Uh, it's specific for, um, very helpful for individuals with a reading type disability like dyslexia. And it allows, uh, we would get their textbooks um, in electronic format each semester from the publishers and uh, install. We have a license for Kurzweil and it allows the students to hear their books out loud and also it has some other interactive tools where they can color code text and the cursor moves along. So we do have that specialized software here in our um, for the students and we have it in our assistive technology lab. Could you answer for me if a student had um, was using utilizing past services for their community based um, supports, individual supports, are they able to bring a past worker to college with them as long as it's not being provided by the college, but their own personal attendant? So here, Rick, I've had students um, on my caseload that have attended uh, class with a past worker. Um, in those situations, um, we would put in their accommodation letter that the student will be attending class with a personal aide or a past worker. Um, it, it's important that the worker and the student have an understanding of the classroom dynamics and the student code of conduct and uh, what the past worker's role is in that situation um, in that the student is the one in the student role and they're there to really aid the student's access and participation in the course. Um, one thing I would like to point out is if the student needs to take an exam um, with accommodations like extra time in a separate room, we would not allow the past worker to assist with completing the exam or something like that. Um, so they're there to help the student access the social environment of the college, usually in most of the situations where I'm, I have students working with them. Very quickly, we had a follow-up question regarding the Kurzweil asking, does the department get the books or are the students, do they need to bring the books for, it sounded like you were saying that you have access to the electronic textbooks, the department would get the books. So the student has to purchase the textbook and show us proof of purchase. And then once we have, once it, once they've purchased the book, we can request an alternative format from the publisher. So if they can't buy it, let's say they can't buy it in a PDF, usually it takes a PDF, uh, they can buy a paper book and give us the receipt and we can contact the accessibility people at whatever publisher that is and get the accessible format for Kurzweil. We just need proof of purchase to stay within copyright law. Great, that's great. And, and we have a question here in the chat on Zoom as well. That is, uh, what, what is the path for students with IDD over 22 years of age, other than transition services in Rhode Island? That sounds like kind of a big question. I don't know if anybody wants to, to take a stab at that. So I'll unpack it a little bit. So after 22, it kind of depends. Okay, so is there are a lot of options, right? And hopefully that you're working with the IEP team to kind of talk about what's going to happen the day after graduation when the, when that school bus stops coming. Right. And is it, is it college? Is it um, post-school training? Um, will the student qualify for services through the office of rehabilitation services, ORS? They'll be with us tomorrow afternoon at three o'clock or will they be eligible for services through the division of developmental disabilities they were with us yesterday. So you can check out our website and listen to that conversation. So um, are we looking at employment? Are we looking at more school? Are we looking at more training? And what's the goal? So it's not, it, it's, it is, uh, it's a big question. And one of the most helpful things, I think, as, as a family, as a parent that I've done is really to engage others, 
get people in the room that know and love my child the best and help us uncover and unpack her strengths and and her goals and her her desires and then kind of make a plan on how are we going to do that so really looking at the the student person centered planning and really kind of trying to you know our short term goals and and you know what are we going to do today <laughs> What are we going to do this month, this year, next year? Um, you know, what what is, well, transition really, what's that end goal, right? Um, for those of us who like hockey, right? Some of you may remember Wayne Gretzky. He was a great skater, right? And Wayne Gretzky was interviewed and the interviewer asked him, how do you manage to play so well. And he said, well, I imagine uh, where the puck is going to go. And then I skate to it. So that's, that's kind of like life, right? That's like transition planning. It's like, okay, where, where does it look like the puck's going to go? Let's skate to there, you know, and, and, and building that high school experience to um, give the student the opportunities, um, especially while they're still living at home and they still have a safety net. It's like make the mistakes now, right? And making those choices and then building that that whole self-confidence and the self-advocacy. I knew um, I was at a school function and um, an acquaintance was talking to me about her child going to college. And she was also talking about how much support she was giving her child in high school. And it sounded like this mom was planning to give that same level of support to her child in college. And I said, you know what? I said, if that were my situation and my child then I don't think my child, I could honestly say that my child's ready for college because um, that's me going to college. That wouldn't be her going to college. So I've got to be sure before we make this investment of time and, you know, that, that she's capable of the work, like Carrie said, they're not going to modify the curriculum. So can she read 200 pages a week? Can she do this many assignments? Can she, um, uh, for every, what is it, for every, and you gals know this, for every hour that you're in a class in college, right, a college course, how many hours should we students? Say, we say for every hour you're in class, plan on at least two hours of work outside of class. So I think that, and these are some pieces that I think are for, again, not just individuals that might have a no, disability, at, but every student. Mm -hmm, um, and I think what we're at, from where I sit, mm -hmm. where I see people struggle in, in is it's the un, the unwritten rules of college that unplanned time. So you might have, you know, so first of all, what's you, what's your plan going to be for organization? Are you going to carry a old fashioned paper binder? Are you going to use your phone calendar? Okay. So you put your exam, you put that your papers due on X date and you put that you have an exam on that on this date, but did you actually schedule time in your calendar for when you're going to study or did you put little checkpoints in your calendar for when you're going to start working on your draft? Because I don't think that most high school students are doing that right now. They have their teachers and their parents and other and families and other people to prompt them. But that a lot of and a lot of professors will still do that, but some won't. So What's the plan for overall organization and, and mm. deadlines? And, and you know, when you have four different classes and, you know, your schedule is suddenly at, at will and it might not be a seven hour a day schedule. That's when I think, you know, what is the plan for that? That to me is the biggest thing students need to work on. Um, there's academic skills, but there's a lot of remediation and compensation and accommodations and things yeah. we do to help students with reading and time on an exam. But if you didn't study for that exam, we can give you double time. But if you don't know the content, that accommodation is not going to help you. So what did you do to study before you got to your exam? And 
Um, that I think is the piece that a lot of students need to work on um, before they get to college. And it, even things like our students right now in high school keeping track of when their doctors and dentist appointments are. Um, some of those self-determination, being in the driver's seat of your self kind of transfer over to college. So, so that's, that's kind of a nice segue to the, another question that we have. Uh, the questioner writes, my daughter is a junior in high school and really wants to go to college like all her friends. She has an IEP and really struggles with school. So what specific things can I do as a parent to help her prepare for college? I'm after uh, this. Uh, oh, God. Yeah, so go ahead. I'll, no, I was, I was just going to say you I have first. some resources um, that I'm going to provide. So there'll be some differences between high school and college. But to reiterate, um, Carrie, in those organizational skills are key to um, success in college. And even understanding, and you also, Carrie, touched upon the seven-hour or six-hour school day and lunch every day is at 1130 and now you have a class at 8.30 in the morning and you don't have another one until 11 and you may have classes until 4.30 at night and having that time in between and understanding when you should be studying. And it is, it's that time management and getting out of such a structure because it is, it's very hard for many students um, to get out of that structure. And I think, Sue, that's probably what you were gonna start to talk about. So I'll hand it over to you. Absolutely, Carrie. I was going to say the time management was huge. I know from personally for my kids and for my child with a disability and for my oldest without a disability, we had done such a miserable job preparing him for college that I came home and looked at the other two and said, oh, we have a lot of work to do. And before cell phones, there were alarm clocks, but now we can use cell phones. Just so mom of the junior in high school does your child wake herself up? Does she set her alarm? Is, does she take any medication? Is she doing that independently? If, 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 if they can't, can you help them set up a pillbox or some type of system to help keep themselves organized? Um, deadlines, oof, deadlines, deadlines, deadlines. <laughs> the world runs by deadlines, right? So whether it's the FAFSA application or a scholarship or anything, um, I, I found that color-coded folders uh, was helpful in helping her prepare before she got there, before she went to college. Um, and then, uh, my again, my daughter, she's got to feel it. She's got to feel it. She's got to smell it. She's got to, you know, taste the college life, right? So it we we did walkthroughs. Oh my goodness! It's like okay, let's walk through this campus and let's walk through these buildings and you know, are you comfortable? And it's like, and some schools are just not going to feel right, right? So some campuses may be too big. They may prefer a smaller school. Some kids thrive in schools that are like cities within themselves. So it's really individualized, uh, individualizing, you know, uh, to meet the, the students need. But, um, but I think, it, and I know sometimes, I found it easier just to do it myself, you know, but before I knew it, it's like you're doing everything yourself, right? You're taking the trash out, you're doing all the dishes, you're doing all the laundry. You got these 18 year olds that can't, that don't know how to work a washing machine. Okay. That's when it's like, you got to stop is, you know, and uh, I look now and um, technology and, and the modern conveniences that we have, it's like, they're really so they're such gifts because they can really help. Um, individuals with disabilities access so many things today. There's so many apps too that are meant to help with organization and time management. I think another piece too is to understand colleges are filled with services and supplemental um, social experiences. But the thing is, nobody, I mean, they'll do a lot of outreach and there'll be orientations and, but um, to, I think the other skill is to, to, to have the, um, not be afraid to speak up if you need help, 
Um, again, we have tutoring services at colleges, but you have to go make the appointment and you don't want to make the appointment the day before your papers due at the writing center. You want to plan and know, hey, I'm somebody that tends to need extra help in writing. So when I know I have papers due, I probably want to make an appointment with that writing center a couple of weeks leading up because I know I want to bring them an outline and then another draft. Uh, colleges have counseling centers. Uh, peer mentor programs, student clubs. But again, you have to go seek them out. You're not just in one little building anymore. And I think it's, so the other pieces is getting used to speaking up and needing help. Now, the thing is some disabilities impact somebody's ability to communicate. So what can you do? Well, maybe you can sit next to your young person and come up like if a student needs to talk to their professors, they can talk to their professors during office hours too but maybe you need to sit next to as that coach, your son or daughter and come up with an email template uh, so that when they need help, maybe they just change a couple little details, paste it in and send it. Like that's a very concrete thing you can do. And a disability services office is always happy to help a student with some of those things as they're transitioning in also. But sometimes it's as easy as if, if it's a student that struggles with communication, helping them come up with some templates they can keep and draw upon if that communication doesn't come naturally also. Yep. And just to link that back again to the IEP process, Carrie, that there's organiza organizational skills that can be worked on as a goal or as an accommodation or as um, a transition service. So there's lots of opportunities within the IEP process to, to work on skills like that. And we don't want to forget about transportation. Mm -hmm. And how would the student get to college? Um, and even just being able to navigate around your own community. So many colleges, uh, if you're going to a four-year, may not allow, even if your son or daughter has their license, most students don't have their car on campus anyway. So understanding where the bus stops may be, going and listening and paying attention during that orientation, can I navigate around this community on my own um, safely? So that's something else that, like Sharon had just mentioned, um, getting involved now while you have an IEP team to support you to incorporate that into your IEP may be something else. Um, those, and then I think, Sue, you touched upon some of those functional skills of cooking, cleaning, doing your own laundry. Oh my gosh, I've heard of parents that say that their sons show up a month later and had not washed their clothes for a whole month. Was it your son? See, <laughs> um, I've heard people talk about that. And my, I have a daughter in college and she will say that so many of her friends have no idea even how to cook, how to make a cup of coffee. And she's like, mom, I had to show so-and-so how to turn on her Keurig. I, she's never used one before. You know, those simple things that we're doing at home naturally for our kids that you really, I mean, have, have them start to take ownership and independence in those skills. Another thing too is um, keep in mind, there's going to be some class discussions and maybe some small group work in class. And can you, can you talk with somebody that you don't share the same views with? These are all skills, critical thinking skills and, and, and learning and discovering who you are in college and, you know, navigating through some of those discussions too. But that's part of coming into your own at college. But, you know, interacting with peers and having differing views and critical thinking in class. And can you can you do those things? And um, that's that's a learning curve for some students, too. And I know my college panel will tell you when they're asked about their college experience, they say to make sure you get involved. They'll say that the academics can't be everything to your experience, that you have to really get involved. That will fulfill you um, because it can be very lonely if you're living in a dorm and you're only taking classes and you're going right back to your dorm and you're sitting there on your Xbox or whatever. Um, so making sure that you really reach out and get involved in those clubs or those opportunities that are on campus. And that's something else that you know may need a little push with the parents, but it's really getting on and seeing what sports may be available and, you know, clubs. So that I would say that my college panel would tell you that, that definitely gave them the whole world of experiences. We are just about out of time. Uh, we have one final question I want to, I want to get to. They, 
they ask, do you have a summer program that would prepare students for the fall experience? Is there anything like that out there? So we have our traditional student orientation um, for all students that is meant to get them um, acclimated to the college before they come. But um, some, I mean, one program we have here and most colleges that have a TRIO program will have a little bit more over the summer. Um, our TRIO program is called the Preparatory Enrollment Program, PEP. Um, and that um, does have a little bit more um, summer preparation for it before coming in for the fall. And that has very specific admissions requirements, the PEP program at Rhode Island College. Um, and that's a TRIO program, a federal TRIO program, and other colleges would have that as well. And I know that URI has, um, they're just, they've piloted this school year, um, their START program for students with autism. Um, so that's the URI START program that I'm sure is up on their website under the disability services this year. Well, that is all the time we have for today. I want to thank again, everybody who joined us, everybody who tuned in. I want to especially thank Kerry Rossi Dentremont and Kerry Collins uh, for giving us all this excellent information. We really appreciate you being with us today. Uh, tomorrow, Friday, is our fifth and final Q&A session for the week. We will be talking about employment and we hope you can join us. We'll be back again at three o'clock tomorrow afternoon. You can register or look at any of the webinars we've done so far this week and lots of other resources at our website. Go to www.ripen.org and you'll be able to navigate to our Transition to Adulthood Week page. Lots of great stuff there. Uh, and thank you again for coming and enjoy the rest of your afternoon and hopefully we'll see you tomorrow. Take care. Thank you. Take care, everybody. Thank you. Bye-bye.